everybody welcome to another episode of brown mama and brown me i hope you guys are having a really fantastic day week and month um so i don't know if you guys caught the last two episodes um of the brown mama brown me we spoke to a lovely lady called heidi downs who's a midwife um, one of my colleagues who previously has written a really fantastic um article about um some of the work of um, the father of gynaecology, or the supposed father of gynaecology, um, J. Marion Sims. Um, and we've just delved in slightly into some of the issues that are facing black and brown mums in maternity care in the UK. Um, and that they are five times, well, black women are five times more likely to die um, in the perinatal period, which is pregnancy, childbirth, and up to six weeks after having their babies and Asian women are two times more likely to die in the same period. So we really wanna do some work um, to help reduce that inequality and really make the experience for this group of mothers better and safer and so that they can have a pleasant, more pleasant experience. Um, so today, I, I'm not gonna do as much talking at the beginning as I did last time, I promise. Um, I've brought together some wonderful women who work in maternity in various ways um, to just kind of give their views about, you know, the topic from a midwifery perspective. Um, we are all on the shop floor in some way, shape or, for, or form. So first, I'd like to introduce a, a friend of mine called Paula. She has worked as a senior midwife in one of the London hospitals on the birth centre. She's now moved into midwifery education and is really keen to address some of the diversity in leadership. Um, and it's great because she's beginning from an education point of view, from catching these student midwives when they're fresh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Hi, Paula. <laughs> Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really excited um, to, to have this conversation with you. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, yes, I'm, I'm now... Um, you know, doing things from an educational point of view, but actually having that clinical experience, being a student midwife myself, a black student midwife, obviously, yeah. um, and then sort of moving into the clinical side of things and working your way to a point where you're trying to get promotion. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that a bit later. We but, will. We you know, will. just, yeah, just looking at it sort of from an educational point, but actually it stems, as you say, right back to the very beginning to um, our student midwives before definitely, we even definitely. get to the point of qualification. 100%. So we're really excited to have you with us, Paula. Um, I also have with us um, a beautiful lady called Alicia. She is a qualified paediatric now nurse and then went on to um, begin her midwifery training. She's just she's one of just 52 people that were selected to take part in a student leadership program. She's the co-editor of the Student Midwife Journal, which is an online journal hosted by All for Maternity. So welcome, Alicia. Hello. Hi. Nice to be here. I'm glad to have you with us. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of get your thoughts on the topic and your perspective from a student midwife's kind of point of view. So again, another beautiful lady. We have Fayette. She is a newly qualified midwife. She worked for many years as a maternity support worker and then went on to begin her um, midwifery training also. She has just um, secured her first role as a, a qualified midwife. <laughs> and um, kind of it's really just to get her perspective about it from a newly qualified point of view these are all various different stages of midwifery but we welcome you Fayette and we're looking forward to hearing hi. your point of view hi hi everybody thanks for having me Grace <laughs> that's all right so ladies a very interesting topic um, we know that the mortality and morbidity rate for black and brown mums is has been on the increase over the last couple of years. Um, how do you think this topic has evolved? What do you think has happened? Um, this goes out to all of you or any of you. What do you think can be has been the the reason for some of this this um, increase in mortality rate? Um, it's Paula, so. Um... I think 
going right back, I mean, I'm, I've been in and on the job for the last 10 years now. Um, and starting right back to when I was a student midwife, I was one of probably eight black students mm. in on my midwifery course. There was only 40 of us at that time, mm. um, as in, you know, as in as a cohort. But out of that cohort, we formed a really, really, really small minority, um, which is quite typical generally for us um, living in the UK, isn't it? We're always in the minority. Yeah. But I think studying at that time and the actual lecturers who, you know, were teaching at that time were not re- was not reflective. It was not reflective of me, of right. who I was, where I was coming from, my background. And then going into living in where I live, um, it's not your inner city London area. Um, so then when I went into the, into the hospital setting, Again, it was very reflective of what I was seeing in university. It was very reflective of what was the demographic of my area, which was a majority white population. Sure. Um, so again, you're in the minority. And then when you did see a black face, it was, oh, hello, hi, my <laughs> name's Paula. You know, you were really keen to sort of get to know that midwife. Yeah. Um, but, and I never forget one midwife would say to me when I then qualified, she would say, oh, it's nice to see another peppercorn in the salt and pepper pot. Wow. And you think, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> but I understood what she meant because we were so far and be between. But that then has a knock-on effect as to the women that we are then caring for, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, if definitely. you don't know your demographic, I think it's easier for us because living in a white British society, we are very used to adapting sure. um, our skill set, if you like, but actually turning the lens the other way, it's very difficult, isn't it? Um, you know, to, to understand, I don't know, the black population or the Asian population or any other population that isn't really yours and you haven't really had any dealings with. Yeah. And I can only say that that must have an effect on the way that we care for women. We can't fully care for them properly can we I don't I don't see how we can fully care for them properly their cultural needs their cultural safety yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and actually if you're not taught about that in university yeah how do you then translate that when you get into the working world I think that's very difficult and I think that's some of the work that definitely needs to take place um now because as you said quite rightly black women are dying five times more likely to die than their white counterparts and that's not okay and i think part of it is also kind of reaching student midwives when they're not to say that you know more more experienced midwives are not passionate but i think when you're a student you've still got that fire you've still got that Mm. passion for everything midwifery and sometimes it's it might be a case that students just don't know i mean elisa do you think and Faye, actually, because you've just come out of education as well. Do you think that this sort of topic was addressed at all, if not properly, in your training? Absolutely not. The first time I became aware of the statistic for BAME women in the UK was um, the 2018 Embrace report. Right. And I'm a, I'm a black woman. I have black sisters. I have black women friends. And I had no idea that this was even going on. Hmm. And I remember we maybe had one PowerPoint slide on it and then we moved on to the next topic. <laughs> Out of three years. Did you do Out the of full three-year three training? I'm in my uh, my third year now. Right. So as Paula has described, I'm one of a minority in my class as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, well, there started off as about maybe five of us and there's only, oh, maybe two of us left. Wow. And whenever um, a BAME issue or, for example, um, issue that is associated with BAME peoples, for example, FGM, whenever that comes up, I feel <laughs> the gaze of the classroom and the lecturer fall upon <laughs> me as if I you have all the answers. Mm. Mm. But yeah. actually, no. If you want to be a midwife, it's all of our responsibility to do the reading to do the work exactly Mm -hmm. so yeah it's not touched upon and I think if we are to produce midwives that are switched on to the fact that black and brown women are vulnerable we need to address it at a university level certainly Mm -hmm. 
identify your own biases at a university level start working on them then because when you are looking after women it's too late mm-hmm. but don't you think Alicia it's I mean that's wonderful to say but now myself working within the institution I can see how difficult that is mm-hmm. for people to take that on you know and I sort of look at it and I think well whose responsibility is it is it my mm-hmm. responsibility as a black lecturer to sort of say to everybody you know hold the banner high and say look this is what we ought to be doing or actually do we collectively have a responsibility should I not be part of the collective you know I've been in education two years just over now um, and actually I think it's really difficult for those whose whose experience this is not Mm. Um, for them to actually understand why it's important um, and and what we can do about it. Because you're saying you had one slide. What's one slide? (laughs) Out of three years. Literally, Mm. that doesn't prepare anybody. But do you think, um, like you're saying, Paula, you know, it's a very difficult thing, but I think we're at the stage where we can now pass we've passed a difficult stage in the whole in the whole topic because we were at the point where we didn't address the difficult thing in education we haven't addressed the difficult thing in you know even a cultural mandatory training sort of day and now it's affecting the women so you know we're kind of at the stage where we have to pass the uncomfortability and actually look at ourselves and address things a bit you know a oh bit. absolutely more stringently yeah. and, and sit with our uncomfortability in some ways. Absolutely, I totally agree. But it's, I, I think having the statistics gives you a little bit more leverage sure. because as you know, generally speaking, when you do try and fly the banner, when you do try and say something, when you do try and make a difference, um, you're not really heard. And I think mm. that's the experience that I have seen as a clinical midwife. It's the experience mm. that I have seen within the university setting. Um, but now that you have this embrace report, guess what? Report, sorry, guess what? Nobody can, nobody can Re- say that's not repeat true. It. No, yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. So, in talking about speaking up, Faye, Faye, you're you're a newly qualified midwife, and I think just thinking back to when I was newly qualified, which wasn't all that long ago, but. Um, Thinking back to it, I I always remember feeling that I couldn't step out of line. I couldn't be that one that would challenge things. Mm-hmm. In the best of circumstances, it's really hard to challenge things. But I think if you then throw in that race word or, you know, that racism word or that this element of, of any topic to do with race, it becomes an even bigger challenge. How mm-hmm. do you feel about being able to challenge certain behaviours or, or or microaggressions, if you want to call them, in work? Oh, I definitely believe that there is a level of discomfort amongst us as black women. In fact, black people, we've already been made to feel as though our thoughts, our opinions, our feelings are invalid and not justified. And they just end up becoming issues that just unfortunately get swept under the carpet. But like Paula said, there comes a time where we have these statistics to back it up and back up what we're saying, basically. And as the saying goes, numbers don't lie. So I think as for me, as a newly qualified midwife, yes, I would say it can be very daunting. Sometimes you want to ask questions, um, you want to challenge something, you think, you know, let me just be quiet, let me just be seen and not heard. Um, And I think throughout history, by default, we've always been forced to shrink ourselves in order to be accepted. Um, You know, there's always been an attitude of, oh, let me be seen and not heard, which is a mentality that likely originates from the period of the African diaspora. You know, I know there is probably someone out there listening to this thinking, oh, my God, you know, here she goes pulling out the race card. But I do think that has been the attitude for many black people ever since. But now we have these statistics. That's where the discomfort comes in. Mm. You know, I was recently having a conversation with a fellow midwife, someone I get on with, get on with really well. The report, the Embrace report came up and we were talking about these statistics. And, you know, I mentioned the fact that the report found that black women are five times more likely to die with, you know, within maternity services. And her response mm. to me was, oh, is that a thing? 
once upon a time, I would have thought to myself, oh my gosh, are we really having this conversation? How sure. awkward. Probably would have felt quite embarrassed and tried to change the subject quite swiftly. But, you know, having those statistics as a woman of colour, I was actually able to respond and say, yes, it mm. is a thing. And this is why it's a thing. So that's been my experience so far. It's definitely been eye-opening for many, seeing those statistics, um, mm. including myself. But I am optimistic that we're hopefully transitioning into a period of time where we're more active and more intentional about flying that banner. Yeah, I agree. There are a lot of statistics that basically support the experience, not only for the black and brown women and families, but but staff as well. So, I mean, mm. there is long-standing um, research and, and statistics that show BAME staff members are more likely to be um, reprimanded or referred to um, governing bodies, so your NMCs or, or different, you know, governing bodies like that. Um, mm. But even if we look at the uh, workforce um, statistics about the ethnicities of staff groups in most UK trusts, um, the black and ethnic minorities only make up, you know, 19 to 25% of the workforce in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still more likely to be, you know, referred to the, to the NMC for, for various reasons. They're still less likely to get uh, very senior management positions. So, I mean, board level representation amongst black and ethnic minorities is only at 6.5% across, across the mm-hmm. UK. Um, and that's come from the 2019 um, data. Um, how do you think having members of black and Asian and, and ethnic minority groups in board level positions can affect care? Is that something that you think is important? Do you think it would make a difference at all? Or is that something that maybe people have made, put, made up in their heads to kind of, I don't know, make themselves feel better? I think it's important because if you have BAME women in these positions, in senior positions, who are able to, you know, influence the way in which delivery of care is structured, it will eventually trickle down. It may not be an overnight change, but I think with perseverance and consistency, we can address the inequality because, let's be honest, how can we tackle the issue if we don't have the right people in the right places? Mm -hmm. And I mean, also going full circle I mean Paula I don't know what your experience was was with um getting a senior position but I've I've in my experience (laughs) or some of the experience that I've seen is that they struggle to get senior positions and then Mm -hmm. when they get senior positions some not all um because they know that fact is of I'm more likely to be referred to the NMC for x I'm more likely to be called out for quote unquote bullying because I'm firm um, I'm more mm. likely to be made the black sheep of the, the band eight mm-hmm. or whatever world I'll just toe the line so mm. even in those circumstances you get someone that's at that level and again this is not everybody but you get someone that's at that level and then they don't even make positive impact in the role that they've got mm. um so I don't know, it's just sometimes for me, as much as I'm I'm actually one of the people screaming from the rooftops that we need a bit more diversity at very senior level, I think it's going to have to be people who have that courage and that boldness to yeah. to actually step out. step out and do something. I think adding to that, it's Paula again, um, we need to get a grip. We ourselves need to get a grip 100%. because actually... We, I say we as in the collective, I'm talking about from my experience in the hospital that I worked in, we don't see ourselves up there. We don't see ourselves as worthy. Mm. Um, When I was, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to work on the birth centre. That was definitely me. That was my niche. Um, But actually, I wasn't thinking of, oh, I want to be a band seven. I want to lead the birth centre. Not in my early days. I just wanted to be a really good midwife yeah. and I wanted to give really, really good care. And, and you know, your personality shines through and you do what you do. You know, it's not even, it's effortless almost, you know, because actually your, your reputation in that sense precedes you. But then when an opportunity 
she comes up and you think, oh, hang on a second. Maybe I, I think I could do yeah. that job. Yeah, I could do that. Um, and everybody pats you on the back. Yes, 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 you could do that. But what was most significant for me is that a lot of the black midwives tapped me on the back and said, yes, good for you. You go for it. You speak their language. And I said, what? Mm. What do you mean? You speak their language. Mm. No, 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 me, me, I have an accent. They don't understand me. Wow. And that really got my back up because I'm saying, hang on a second, you are more senior than me. I've just come along. I'm a baby. Mm. And I can see, I can see, you know, myself in that position. Why would you think that because you have an accent, that actually you are not going to be perceived as the right person for the job. And that's why I say we need to get a grip. When I say that, I don't mean it in terms of, I suppose I mean it more widely. We shrink ourselves, as I think it was Faye that said earlier, we shrink to suit the environment Mm. rather than actually blooming and flourishing and showing that we have potential and that we actually can do just as good a job if not better mm. than some of our counterparts. So that really struck me. Many, many of the black midwives, if it wasn't, yes, good, go for it. Good for you. You speak your language. It was me. I come to work. I keep my head down. And I go Oh, that is so true. <laughs> and, and honestly, it really irked me at that time. But I had little understanding because, as I said, I was quite green um, to the world of racism within this particular workplace. Yeah. I didn't think really that racism was a thing in this workplace setting because after all, we're caring for women, right? You know, we've come in, this is a a job where it's all about the woman, not about you, but actually race exists, Mm. racism exists. And it's because those black midwives, as you have already alluded to, were more harshly treated because of mistakes they may have made clinically. And actually they're put on supervised practice Mm when their counterpart has made exactly the same mistake, but yet they're not on supervised practice. You know, they might they might be put down to the postnatal ward for a little while <laughs> and then actually they're brought back up, yeah. you know, to labour ward because, you know, it's the holy grail, isn't it? Labour ward is the holy grail so in that sense, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think when I say we need to get a grip, we need to see ourselves as better than. We cannot keep shrinking back. We cannot keep saying oh no let you do it you go for it it's not okay to do that you know we have to put our best foot forward um as well so i'm anyway i'm aware i'm talking i'm talking a lot so it's really valid points (laughs) that you're making um because i do remember as a student feeling like i would love to be the midwife that a student midwife would look at and say wow Mm -hmm. look at her like she's just bossing up everything yeah i would love to be that midwife that is just killing the game so much professionally and clinically and just so on point that another black midwife a student midwife coming up would aspire Uh to be somebody really great um alicia did you do you feel like you have those sorts of people to look up to or do you think I don't know, because I feel like sometimes we, I don't know, I fantasise things a bit in my head. So I'm thinking, yes, someone's going to look at me and think that. But is there anyone that you've seen in your practice or in your time as a student midwife that you think, yeah? Yes, actually. Um, I remember my mum's a nurse. She's been in the NHS for 30 plus years. And wow. we were sitting and watching a documentary together about um, nurses that came over from Africa and the Caribbean during the... Um, during the Windrush generation time. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I spotted um one of the one of the people contributing. She stuck out to me and I remember seeing her face in something midwifery related, but I didn't put the two together. And then I attended um an RCM conference with um Faye last September mm-hmm. and it clicked to me that, that woman that I'd seen on that documentary was Jacqueline Dunkley Bent. Wow. Who is now the chief midwifery officer midwifery officer for England. That's amazing. And to see a black woman in that position in this country today in twenty twenty. Yeah, we can do it. We can do it. Oh. 
do you know what that woman is actually so inspiring um I, I I actually did a program run by NHS England for black black and ethnic minority nurses and midwives to um, just get some leadership training and, and try and inspire the next generation of black leaders. And she ended up coming to present the certificates to all of the all of the participants. And one thing I remember her saying to me, and it stuck, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but I, I know that it's gonna stick with me, is that she said, have purpose and be purposeful. And, you know, like you said, um, Alicia, just to have her as in that position, um, giving out just small nuggets. I mean, it was huge for me because it was so inspiring, but we need to see black people in leadership positions, in positions that are gonna make us feel inspired to do more, to be more, to to make change. Um, So I definitely think you know, that's a really good example of someone who has given us, you know, a bit of inspiration mm-hmm. um, to be better. Um, there's been a lot of discussion around training for, for midwives, uh, cultural safety, um, you know, issues around understanding different cultures and, and their beliefs around birth and childbirth. Um, and... I think it was in a recent study day by done by the RCOG, which was Let's Talk About Race. I don't know if you, any of you guys um, yeah, was able to go to that. to that. It was really good. Yeah, mm. it was fantastic, actually. Mm. Um, I, I missed yeah. out. I had my um, clinic on that day, so I couldn't oh. cancel. It was super lovely. I don't know if Alicia um, can attest to the fact that it was just really lovely to be in a room full of brown and black women who are in the health profession and you know you just say yes this is it this is what you know this looks so good and it's and everybody was so professional Mm -hmm. the day was run so well and you think this is it this is what we should be doing more of yeah I definitely agree I looked around that room and I felt okay if next time I have a baby I want you to be my midwife you to be my obstetrician (laughs) it felt like a place (laughs) of safety yeah it was it was amazing really lovely wow (laughs) I I was um intrigued by one of um the statements that I read about um that the consultant obstetrician and gynecologist Christine Akechi said um and what she said was that we need more cultural competency cultural safety cultural sensitivity and cultural humility and i think that is such a perfect way to cover all aspects of for black and brown women um but what i did have a think about was what that looks like on a day-to-day level and how how we can adjust our care the way we speak the way we um you know educate all aspects of our care how we can incorporate those aspects into it on a day-to-day level what what do you guys think so i would like to use one of my experiences as a student as an example of how our preconceived stereotypes may affect the care that we give and how we can perhaps do things differently So in the area where I trained as a midwife, there was a large proportion of the demographic that was made up of women from a Somali background. Mm. And there seemed to be this general consensus amongst some of the maternity team that I worked in that Somali women, quote unquote, do not comply with care pathways. It was often a comment that was made in jest, but actually it was quite offensive to me as a woman of colour. So I would often ask my mentors and colleagues to kind of explain what they meant mm. by this, but it often revolved around the fact that they pref- that Somali women preferred very little intervention, particularly induction of labour. Yeah. There was this one particular midwife who made a joke and said to me, well, we've told her the risk regarding, you know, um, post-dates pregnancies, but you know these Somalian women, they never like to comply. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Um, I remember going away as a student thinking, whatever happened to informed choice, you know? 
nobody has taken the time out to ask these women what are their preferences you know what is the reasoning behind this so-called perception that Somali women just don't seem to like intervention so it made me think you know why don't we just take the time to find out where these people are actually coming Mm. from you know what are their preferences how do they view pregnancy labor and birth is it that they just have longer gestations than women from other ethnicities and don't actually require an induction of labor so yeah this really troubled me as a student and had me thinking you know I've had this conversation before and I just think that more work needs to go into looking deeper into different cultures and gaining a better understanding a better understanding of the practices Mm. the norms the views of BAME women it's almost as like we've conditioned ourselves to think that the Western way is the only way. And then what everybody else does, we seem to kind of rubbish. So I just think, you know, we we cause women from, you know, BAME women, we cause BAME women to be less likely to engage in services, you know, simply by having these preconceived ideas and allowing them to affect the way we work um and i think oftentimes you know because we're conditioned to think that the western way is the only way what happens is is that we then rubbish everybody else's way of doing things to the point where bane women would become less likely to engage in services simply because it doesn't cater for them as their way of doing things has been laughed at, ridiculed and portrayed as incorrect. So, Grace, I think what you said in terms of, I think you used a term, um, cultural sensitivity. I think that's what we need more of um, when we're trying to address the inequalities faced by BAME women within maternity services. Yeah, 100%. But do you think, and this might, this is just me being... um, devil's advocate here do you think it's something that can be taught potentially for example if we have clinics for BAME women Mm. run by BAME women and other midwives that have been educated in say for example if you have run a clinic and you're giving information about the foods that are good to eat during pregnancy, if that's tailored towards the the culture of the women we're actually caring for, mm. that kind of information can be passed on to people that aren't necessarily from our culture. Mm. Stuff like that can be taught. Yeah. But the experience of being a BAME person and how structures such as healthcare and housing and the government can make you feel that that feeling of feeling other cannot cannot be taught and that's why i think it's important that you have allies because actually there are different levels to blackness brownness we have so many subcultures within our subcultures don't we you're talking about the somalian community i don't know a lot about the somalian community i'm not somalian um some of the african communities i don't know you know even being a caribbean jamaican is very different to being Asian. it's Mm. very different Mm -hmm. you know so actually i think it's a brilliant idea having you know clinics that are run by you know women midwives from the black and brown communities or women um, of the black and brown communities, but there aren't enough of us. No. And I think that could that could potentially then, you know, end up with those services becoming defunct because actually yeah. we haven't got enough midwives, blah, blah, blah. So you need allies. Yeah. Some of, some of the work I'm doing, um, just because, as I said, I was one of a minority um, when I was a student, there weren't any, you know, um, there was there were no lecturers that represented me, mm. and I didn't really see any around campus either. Um, and I saw the struggles of some of my counterparts, my black counterparts. It was really difficult coming to university when actually you're the first person in your family mm. to ever come to, commu- to, to to university, and you don't know how to, you don't know actually what the etiquette is, perhaps because there is a bit of an etiquette, isn't there? Yeah. You know, um, you know this whole being on time for class, coming like you're ready for class, you know, (laughs) having a pen. And in those days it was pens, you know, we didn't have laptops to be bashing away on. It was pens and paper, where your book there. You know, Mm. you come to class to learn. Um, 
And there was a bit of a, oh, a clash, if you like. And I remember seeing that. Um, I went to, I was privileged in that I went to a very good school. It was two hours away from my house. Cause my mom said, that's fine. You don't want to go to the school up the hill? Well, you're not going to that school, so you're going to go to that school. Mm. And that was two hours away from where I lived. And in those days, buses didn't run the way that they do now. So it wasn't easy. But I had a really, if you like, privileged education. It really wasn't that privileged. It's just that, you know, in that day and age, at that time for a black girl, went to a nice school, good school. Um, and actually, so you learn some of those that etiquette don't you um when you're in different environments and you have to behave in different ways so actually we both we all struggled they struggled in the way that in in terms of how do I behave when I come into this environment I struggled with the there isn't anybody like me in this environment there are people like me but they're not really like me as I said subcultures so just some of the work that I'm doing going back to that um I've just introduced um, an equality, diversity, and inclusivity day. Um, it comes under that banner because mm. that's what the that's what the um, the university sort of um, measures it by, if you like. Um, and it's it's actually called celebrating us, breaking down barriers, celebrating us. Mm. Um, and it's for the first years. Um, it was a little bit of a trial and error type thing. You know, <laughs> is this going to work? You know. And, and how was that received? You know, how was the day received? Like, did um, was it for what by my BAME um, first year students or was it for everybody? This is the thing. It was for everybody. Right. Because what you can't do always is separate yourself. Not always. There are are times and there are places and there are spaces for that because actually we do need our own spaces. We need to be able to breathe. You know, we need to be able to do that. But actually, if you're talking about allies and if you're talking about educated students, we can't just teach black students what they already know. We need to teach other students perhaps what they don't already know and vice versa so that the learning is for everybody. Um, And so basically it's a day, try and quickly hurry up, it's a day where I invite different speakers to come along um, so last year, for example, it's run for two years now. Last year, we had um, stereotyping and what that looks like workshop session. Right. We had um, what is race, what is racism sessions. We had um, Rudy Page actually. He came and talked to us about networking in the NHS and you know BAME leadership and so on and so forth, support groups, um, and just really looking at different cultures, different ways of being, um, and what that looks like to different people. We looked at unconscious bias. Yeah, these um, are the things really that really need to be back. Yeah. yeah. What does what is a microaggression? What does that look like? And you know, and obviously it's gonna be different. Some people have never heard of a microaggression, mm. whereas some of us live live by it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um and then we end the day off with a cultural feast. So I invite everybody to bring a dish from wherever it is they are from or their background. Um and it's lovely because actually what you find is that the students then get an opportunity to talk to each other about who they are, where they come from, what their practices are. And my hope is that just by introducing this level of, or, or breaking down that barrier of who are you, mm. this is who I am, that actually that can then be translated into some of the work that we're doing clinically when we're meeting different women from different ethnicities and the way that we then care for those women. Because I do think, like I said earlier, if you lack understanding and you think, oh, they're all like that, and actually that's going to impact on the care that you give. So it's just a small thing that we do. It is a whole day and it is really well received actually that's by awesome. all the students. Um, some of them, one of the white girls said, oh, I'm not going to come actually. Why is that? Well, I don't really think it's for me. Nobody oh. wants to hear from a white girl from Surrey. And I said, well, actually that is half the point, isn't it? Because we do want to hear from you as well because you make up the demographic. It mm. isn't just about one person so yeah allies i think is is really important yeah going forwards you mentioned there about um unconscious bias which i think um i've I've had my internal struggles with because sometimes i'm like is this unconscious or is this a bias that you've just chosen to hide and bring out various stages of at different times but (laughs) um i'm sure some of it is unconscious um, 
biases. But one of the reasons why I think this is such a hard topic to address is because people, one, are not aware of their um, unconscious biases sometimes, where or where they stem from. And, and also, sometimes we, we're not called out on our unconscious and let's not get it twisted everybody has unconscious biases that's right including black people and asian people and all sorts of different of course you don't want to talk to my dad (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah it just takes a lot to unpack it sometimes and it takes a bit of brutal honesty in internally about some of the things that you think and feel and it's sometimes it's inevitable. I mean, I mentioned in the first, um, in the first episode about one, a a midwife who ran a popular blog and, um, you know, was found to be, um, mistreating people online. And my thoughts were, okay, so this is how she feels about black people or brown people. And she's a practicing midwife. How how does this woman separate her thoughts in personal life when she's in a room with a black woman? Does that inevitably come out? You know, and we have to be really, really careful. And as much as we say, well, my professional life, my professional life, my personal life, my personal life, these biases are are, are bound to, in some ways, show up in, in conversations, in the way that we've treated someone, the way that we've spoken to somebody. Um, And like you said, we have to have allies that we know that once they shut that door to the labor room, that they're looking after that black woman, all of their, all of their inward thoughts and feelings are not coming out inadvertently and and creating an experience for this woman that is unpleasant. Um, So going back to education, um, I wanted to ask, well, both Faye and Alicia since, well, I suppose I could ask all three of you really. Um, have you ever been taught the differences between black and white or darker vers- and, and lighter skin in terms of kind of recognising lack of oxygen or, you know, things that, are sometimes demonstrated in skin colour. Is that something that you'd ever been taught or made aware of the differences? During my nurse training, sorry, it's Alicia. Yes, mm. um, we were taught that um, cyanosis manifests differently in people of darker skin complexions. Mm. So we look more dusky. You're not going to see us turn blue. We are right. going to become really dusky and almost ashy looking, kind of grey. Mm-hmm. And um, you also need to look at the mucous membranes for signs of um, cyanosis and hypoxia too, because they, like our gums, can get a bit dark when we're lacking oxygen. But during my midwifery education, I wouldn't say so. In fact, I remember someone making the comment that black women don't get the linear nigra. And I just thought, that's not true. That's not Ooh. true. And you just told this whole class of first years that that is the case, but it's not true. Mm. But I'm a first year myself, so I'm not going to challenge you, but I know that's not true. We're not, we're not abnormal. <laughs> no, but that's an issue right there, isn't it? You said, you know, I'm a first year, so I'm not going to challenge because you don't feel that you can, even though you know that's not the case. Mm. It's very difficult to then say well excuse me you know that that's not true because then all eyes are upon you Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's it's very very true and Mm -hmm. I I agree with your point nursing are much better at educating than midwifery as far as I am aware um as far as I was always taught to to write something along the lines of you know baby well pink yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I thought pink and well confused. This doesn't work, you know, this this isn't true. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, so I had to start changing my language. I can't remember who taught me that actually it might have been a midwife, a more seasoned midwife, but you know, that actually that's not what you say because black babies do not have pink cheeks. And I thought it's so true, thank you. Um but the only other time that I was guided in, in how to palpate a vein was by an anaesthetist no it wasn't an anaesthetist he was a he was a 
registrar at the time and he said look this is what you do he said you need to feel you need to feel for the vein because he said actually you can't always see the vein on mm. darker skin and he was a white guy you know and and this was in a clinical setting i wasn't in uni nobody sort of said to me you know we have to make sure that blah 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 no 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 it was just one sunday afternoon a literal flippant comment but i had never forgotten that mm. ever that actually, no, the darker skin you can't always see, but actually if you feel, guess what you can find? Mm, a vein, because we all have them, <laughs> you know, so. But mm. do you think, do you think the lack of teaching around various, the difference in um, skin type and how that can impact, you know, picking up clinical signs, I've read somewhere kind of a suggestion that this is kind of how, maternity care in the uk uk is targeted towards more the white kind of population because nobody knows what to do when you see a, a, a black baby that or or even recognize a black baby that is you know suffering with a lack of oxygen or you know has got jaundice for example you know okay mm. cool you look at the baby's eyes but what if the baby won't open his eyes you're not going to pry them open how else are you going to recognize jaundice in a baby in a, in a darker skinned baby you know and in some ways it feels like you know like it's targeted towards the white population because that's the standard and anything else is like you said other but it um, is, isn't it because we are the, they are the majority um and i mean i'm sure in the caribbean and other, you know, black countries, it's taught very differently because mm -hmm. the, the demographic is different. Yeah. But here, here, if you haven't got people actually saying, hang on a minute, you know, and even in, um, you know, teaching in universities, making sure that the mannequins are not all one colour, yeah. making sure yeah. that the arms that they use, you know, are not all the same colour. The baby, I never forget, you know, we were setting up and I said, um, sorry, excuse me. There was any any mannequin here that looks like me. Where are the brown babies? And I don't mind saying it. I'm quite happy. To, where are the brown babies? Mm. But because I don't hold the purse strings and I don't make the orders, it's very difficult for me to make those changes. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of when you're practicing in uh, you know in the clinical skills session. So the most you can do as an educator is have that conversation. But that's just one person having a conversation with a group of students and actually that's got to keep you know that's got to be everybody's responsibility um you know within within a classroom setting definitely so the last thing i kind of wanted to touch on which i have the privilege kind of with a bit of first-hand experience in that i'm on a continuity team for my workplace but um how do you think continuity of care can be used to improve, you know, the care for BAME women? As Fayette speaking, um, I can only speak from experience, but um, something positive that I saw in terms of continuity for BAME women, um, when I was training there, um, I did a day, um, so there's basically where I train, there's um, a specialist midwife for um, women who have um, suffered FGM. And she basically case loads um, women who have been subject to it. And um, I did a day with her and I was just asking a bit about her history um, in terms of how she got into it. And she said that um, the trusts were, you know, the, the maternity unit were getting, it, it was a bit difficult for them to capture the amount of women who um had been victims of fgm so they started mm. this clinic and um instantly you know this woman she speaks to the women in the somali language she connects with them and naturally they just open up and they they come in a bit reluctant so initially they'll come into their first appointment they come in a bit reluctant in terms of um, um having it reversed and whatever but Eventually, after, you know, she's built a rapport with them and relationship with them, um, they eventually, you know, it, the, the clinic has good outcomes, mm. um, you know, in terms of reversal and just base, basically education in terms of, um, you know, why 
it's not safe and um you know the women they they report back and um she's had you know women give feedback to senior management just to say you know even husbands of mm. these women to say you know um i had no idea that it was unsafe i had no idea that it was illegal but you know since since you know my wife or since i've come to this clinic and you know been seen by this midwife um you know i've learned so much and you know they've gone on to have reversal so i do think it has such potential to benefit bane women that's just one example just because there's some someone you can you know relate to it's not necessarily if you know the, the midwives don't have to be of you know they don't have to be being midwives per se i think it would be beneficial but just to have someone that you know appreciates you mm. and where you're coming from and your cultural differences um i definitely think um there's yeah continuity play could do so much for the bank community so yeah, much definitely alicia one thing that does worry me about continuity of care yeah is that the midwives caring for women from bame um, cultures have to have examined their own unconscious bias before undertaking the caseloading of women from black and brown women mm. because if you're caseloaded by a midwife that doesn't like you because of who you are, because of how you look, because of your culture, I think that is possibly contributing to bay maternal mortality. Yeah. Definitely. So that's the only thing that I would bear in mind. But other than that, continuity of care is, yes, it's fantastic, especially if a woman has had a previous poor experience because of um, racial bias from her care providers. Mm. But yeah, that is something else to just to look out for. And Paula, what do you think? I think the ladies have said it beautifully. I mean, continuity of care, we all know um, the benefits and we know that they far outweigh, um, you know, not having continuity of care. But, you know, equally, if it can work for, you know, all women in general, then I think it would be, you know, it's it's even better for, for women of colour. They can have women of colour um, looking after them, you know. I know that there are um, some uh, there are some doulas who are mostly black. I don't know if I'm allowed to say their name or not, really. But you know, they're based in the UK, and I think that's wonderful. Um, but again, you know, what well, that means that women of colour can then have an opportunity um, to choose. Um, you know, somebody, a, a carer, somebody who will be with them and give him, give them that continuity is mm. so much harder, obviously, in the maternity system, isn't it? Um, because we don't have that. And also, I do worry, not, I, don't, I worry about burnout. Midwives yeah. are burning out anyway. Um, if there are so few of us, then actually, how do we, how can we facilitate um, continuity of carer so that we don't end up you know burning out yeah. and then not being able to give mm -hmm. the care that we need to give to these women and some of them just so vulnerable so i think there's a lot to think about there's a lot to unpack but of course in an ideal world i think it would be amazing absolutely amazing definitely that goes back to what you were saying about allies though isn't it so if you create enough allies then potentially you would avoid burnout because it's all about education you know if we educate our white counterparts and you know gain them as allies mm. then we're building a bigger and better workforce mm. really and the thing is we build that through the education system of the university so the students right from the get-go yes. which is really my big thing we need to change the culture within the university setting so that mm. actually when we get into the clinical setting you've already got a band of midwives who get it you know and mm. actually can change can then help to change practice once they're on the inside because gosh you know what institutional racism is like it's inherent mm. it's there it's mm. you know it's ingrained in the very fabric isn't it so um you know if you've got that from a top-down perspective it's very very difficult then for you to come mm. along as one person um trying to trying to make this massive change no we need to we need allies we all need to be singing from the same hymn sheet um as it were, and making sure that we are changing the narrative within the universities 
and also the hospital systems yeah. because it doesn't work otherwise it just won't work definitely and i think if we're gonna if we're going to um develop appropriate services that that you know work for all women we we literally have to recognize the complexities of different cultures the complexities of not just being a black or asian woman but being a black or asian woman in the uk and i'm not sure how you know like you said it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to do but we've recognized that the inequalities are are at play at various stages of women's and families' lives. And we have to find not a blanket way of, of treating women and treating people. We have to adjust care. We have to adjust um, our mode of operation in some way to facilitate the massive differences between such a big variety of cultures and ethnicities and races and mm. traditions and practices right across the UK. Um, so I want to thank you guys all for joining me today on the third episode of Brown Mama, Brown Me. I think it's been a truly challenging conversation um, that we've had. Um, some of the things that I'm kind of taking away from it is one, we all as people, I'm not even going to just say healthcare professionals, but we all have pe as people have to challenge our own unconscious biases, our, our unconscious uh, ways of thinking, um, and really address how that impacts on the care that we give and how we treat each other. Um, I've also taken away today about education and, and really getting the message across, not just in the workplace, in the hospitals, but from the students right from the very beginning, year one, really introducing this topic so that everybody is aware of what's happening for black and brown mums across the UK. And then thirdly, how we can place qualified, professional, well-educated, brilliant midwives and staff at the top of the ladder um, so that services for women can be implemented that means that black women asian women and women from all different backgrounds can get the care that is culturally appropriate for them um so fayette paula and alicia i just want to thank you again for joining me today thank you so much grace really really powerful um program um and powerful it's wonderful um i know i sound like an old woman but it's really <laughs> lovely to hear the young midwives you know the newbies <laughs> that are coming up who actually already get it i love that it fills me with so much pride and i don't i've never met them <laughs> you know <laughs> only spoken to them today but my goodness gracious me if there were if we could all just be more like you two we are going to smash those glass ceilings. Definitely. And in fact, for black people, they don't call them glass, they call them concrete ceilings, mm. you know? But actually, if, if, if we could just be more like you two, um, then we will break through. We will burst those barriers down and we will get to the top. You know, you two don't stop where you are going. You're, you're both quite young in the profession. One's, you know, third year, one, you know, just newly qualified. See yourself as more. You are more. You can be more. Um, and there's no reason to stop at a band five. Don't you dare stop at a band five. And I mean that here, wholeheartedly. Here. Yeah. Honestly, no, don't do it. Definitely. Okay? Do not yeah. sell yourselves short. And that's my last word. And that's Thank for everybody. You. All across yes. the UK. All student midwives and newly qualified midwives everywhere. Don't stop. There is a lot to be achieved. Um, on that note, I would like to leave you with our quote for this episode, which says, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. And that was by Barack Obama. Thank you again for joining us today on Brown Mama, Brown Me. I am Grace Mitchell signing out. Take care. Bye. Bye.